You're listening to a Thorn Creek Weekend Message Podcast. For more audio content and other resources, visit thorncreek.church messages. Well, hello, church. I, uh, I am just so grateful to the Lord. Anybody else with me? Has God been good to anyone? Has God just watched over you and extended grace and mercy when you haven't even asked for grace and mercy? Has he not provided for you over and over and over? Has he not been patient with you? Isn't he a good God, church? Anybody with me? Put your hands together if you're just with me and you resonate with that. The Lord is so good. I sure hope as I get older, I become more excited about the Lord. You know that? I sure hope as I get older, people look at me and say, wow, he's just a reservoir of gratitude for the Lord's been really good in his life. Last night, I, I felt compelled to come up and interrupt Pastor Nick and Someone called me Kanye West after that. They felt like uh, Kanye West is an entertainer. Some of you may not know that. And there was a thing. Oh. <laughs> Jesus, would you just be with us here? Would you bless our time together here, God? Thank you, God. And, and help those who are still waking up. Would you just uh, shake them up a little bit right now? And uh, I pray that you have your way. Holy Spirit, move in and through me. Move in and through me, God. Oh, Lord, we need to hear a word from you, God. I pray that every soul here hears an undeniable word from you, an undeniable encounter with your presence, God. Move in the heart of the person who just hasn't been in church in a long time. Move in the heart of the person who's been in 10,000 services and has already judged this one. Would you move in that heart as well? We all need you, God. We all need your grace, God. Um, I certainly do, first and foremost, Lord. Uh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for saving us, redeeming us, loving us, reaching out to us. Thank you for, uh, for never giving up on us. And bless this message, I pray in your name. And the church said, amen. Thank you, church. Appreciate you saying that. Um, hey, we're in this series called Unleashed. And if you're just joining us, we've been walking through the book of Acts. The book of Acts is found in the New Testament. It's after the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then you have the book of Acts. And the Acts is all about the unleashing power of the Holy Spirit. It's about the unleashing power of the church. And it's been going on for 2,000 years now. And it's going to go on when you die. It's going to continue to go on until Jesus comes back. But um, <clears throat> this series, uh, today's title is, uh, is called Greek Gods. And, and where my head went first was I thought about my apps. Um, I have a, a bunch of apps on my, my phone. I have an app for my bank. Um, uh, the, and I have an app for Starbucks when I, when I go to Starbucks. I have a I have an app Bible app. I have that as well. Um, I have uh, uh, other apps, uh, social media apps. I don't I, I don't I'm not into social media much anymore. But but that's there. Um, I also have uh, other apps related to uh, tasks and this kind of stuff. But um, I'm just curious, how many of you would you would you say you have more than ten apps on your phone? Would you raise your hand? Uh, more than 20 apps on your phone, more than 30 apps, more than 50 apps. <clears throat> uh, all right, all right, and a few of you, Anthony raised his hand, uh, just a few of you. Uh, but, um, but um, you know, what would you do, you know, if, if I said there was one app you could have, and it's just one button, it's one click, and it satisfies all of your download needs, your app needs, and all you have to do is pull out your phone and hit this one app, and it's always going to go to where you need it to go. Would that be interesting? You know, would you be intrigued 
with that. Not 10 clicks, just one touch, and it goes exactly, it knows your thoughts, and it goes exactly where you want to go. Um, as, I, as I looked at this passage today, and we're going to be hanging out in Acts chapter 17 today, and as I, or 19 rather, as I looked at this, this passage, I thought that's exactly what it was like during the days of Egypt and Greece, and you see these Greek gods. They have these multiple gods for multiple needs. And these Greek gods, there's a, a god of poetry, a god of sexual desire, god of medicine, god of war, god of cold weather. How about that? God of time, god of constellations, god of agriculture, god of the underworld, that's Hades, god of the sun, god of nature, god of sleep, god of marriage ceremonies, god of strength, and power, God of wealth, God of the sea, and God of the sky, lightning and thunder. So anytime they had a need, they would just download that app or, or cry out to that God and say, God, I need you to help me with my agriculture. God, I need you to bless me with more money. God, I need you to, to bless me with sex. God, I need you to bless me with power. God, I'm fighting this enemy. I need you to give me strength. God, I, 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 need, I need, you know, I'm, whatever it is, you cry out to that God based on your need. Now, we worship gods today. Whether you come to church every weekend, you might worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You might worship Jesus Christ, the risen one, or you can worship someone else. You can still come to church and you can worship the God of money. You can worship the God of time. You can worship the God of pleasure. You, you worship something, someone you worship. If it's a person, you really care about what that person thinks and feels like all the time. You want to make sure that person is happy. And if they're not happy, it bothers you. You are worshiping that person. We are created to worship. All the way back in Genesis when God created Adam and Eve, God put it in humanity to worship him. That's why we're worship beings. So you are worshiping something whether it's a drug, an addiction, whatever it is, you are worshiping something or someone. All of us here, a great Beale said this, we become what we worship. We may not like to think of it like that because there's a lie that the devil always feeds us and the lie is you're in control. You're bigger, you're stronger, you're in control. It's not affecting you. You can live like this and do this and be this and it's not affecting you. It's not hurting anyone. But we become what we worship. A little bit about the Greek gods. These Greek gods, this is like the backdrop of when you look at the early church in the book of Acts. Uh, there's Greek gods everywhere, everywhere where, where Paul and Barnabas go and other, other apostles. In the backdrop of these cultures, a lot many times, are Greek gods. And if you, if you do a little history on Greek gods, it actually comes from Egypt. And as late as 1700 BC, you see the, the, these Greek gods and these, these stories that are created by man to explain the world around them, act as a means of exploration, provide legitimacy and authority to ancient Greek aristocracy, and provide entertainment for the masses. And many times, when, when you see in the early church, when you see them go into a city like Ephesus, um, there would be buildings built around these Greek gods. We are built to worship. You could even see it when Moses was on Mount Sinai, and he was taking too long. And what did the people do? They built a golden calf to worship, because they needed something 
to worship. So we're constantly, we are worship seekers. So verse 23, Acts chapter 19, let's jump into this, says this. About that time, serious trouble developed in Ephesus concerning, concerning what? The, the what church? The, the way. <laughs> um, so a couple of things here. First of all, the way, this is one of the few times in the book of Acts that you read the way. Early on, we read it in Acts uh, earlier on, but it's referring to Christians. It's referring to those who are gospel carriers who believe in Jesus. That's the way. So we are those of you who are Christians, you are part of the way. So, so here, uh, this is there's some trouble, and it's developing in a town. And what's the name of the town church? Ephesus. So uh, Ephesus, we, we, we read about them later on because there's a letter in the Bible to them called the book of Ephesians or the letter to Ephesians. But this is Paul's encounter. He has three missionary journeys and he goes into Ephesus and Ephesus at this time, the population is around 300,000 and uh, it was founded in 1000 BC. Alexander the Great favored it because of its harbor center. There was a magnificent boulevard called the Arcadian Way that was 35 feet wide made of marble that led to a grand theater that held about 25,000 people. And uh, in about 200 BC, this harbor began to fill in, it went under, underwater. So Ephesus is on the map. Everybody knows Ephesus. And verse 24 says this, it began with Demetrius, a silversmith who had a large business manufacturing silver shrines of the Greek goddess Artemis. He kept many craftsmen busy. So Demetrius is a businessman. He's a business owner. And what's his business? He creates these, these, uh, these shrines for these Greek gods. That's what he does. And in this case, the Greek goddess Artemis. Now, Demetrius is not a Christian. He's not a Christian. Uh, but he summarizes the message of the gospel really well. He's been listening to, to Paul. Now, Artemis is Diana. She's been worshipped since about 1000 BC. And when Greeks conquered this part of the world under Alexander the Great, the Greeks adopted and renamed the goddess and renamed her Artemis. That's where she comes from. In its day, the temple of Artemis was the largest building in the world. That's what it looked like. Pretty amazing, isn't it, guys? Could you imagine that? This tremendous temple was regarded as one of the seven wonders of the world uh, during this time. And it was thousands of people would, would flock to this building, and it basically became a bank. There was a lot of money that was exchanged at this building, and uh, his, historians believe that there was a large meteorite that fell close to Ephesus during this time, and, and they believed it was Artemis, so they decorated this meteor and worshipped it and this kind of thing. So, so this, this is like on the top of everything. Let me just put it this way. Um, <clears throat> did you know that the Starbucks at, at, a, at Colorado and 136, they ran out of uh, the raw sugar two weeks ago? Anybody know that? Why, why don't you know that? You don't know that. Okay, let me ask you this question. Are you aware of any big events that are happening across the world? Are you aware of political things that are happening across the world or things that are happening across the state? You'd say yes to that. And the reason behind that is there are certain things that go beyond the threshold of popularity. There's some things that like are, are, are little stuff like, you know, Starbucks ran out of sugar and you're like, I don't know, I don't care. But if, if the news gets big enough, it becomes, it goes on the news, on television, on the internet, whatever it is, social media, and then all of a sudden everyone is aware of it. So it passes that threshold. 
So the gospel of Jesus Christ comes into Ephesus, and while it's in Ephesus, um, there's something that happens, is the gospel starts getting more and more popular, more and more popular, and now it's at the level that it's potentially affecting this goddess called Artemis and this temple and currency and business, and that's where it's at. So the, the, the question is, what, what, what is happening here? Will you worship something that was made with hands or the God who made you? Who will you worship? Verse 25, this is what Demetrius says. He called them together along with other employed in similar trades. He's calling his colleagues, people in the same industry, same business, and addressed them as follows. Gentlemen, you know that our wealth comes from this business. That's interesting how he starts this off. We make money through this business. You know our livelihood. Your families are taken care of through this business. But as you have seen and heard... This man, Paul, has persuaded many people that handmade gods aren't really gods at all. And he's done this not only here in Ephesus, but throughout the entire province. Of course, I'm not just talking about the loss of public respect for our business. I'm also concerned, he's so sly, I'm also concerned that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will lose its influence, and that Artemis, this magnificent goddess, worshipped throughout the province of Asia and all around the world, will be robbed of her great prestige. So this guy is so smooth. You know anyone who's just smooth? This guy is smooth. And he starts off, and he recognizes he's losing business. So this is a situation kind of like a business owner that says, you keep your faith to yourself. As long as it doesn't affect my business, I'm okay. Don't infringe on my business. Your business, your religion is your business, but don't you come and don't, may not affect, I mean, I have a right. I have a right. I'm an American or whatever it is. And, and somehow or another, he's looking at his numbers. He recognizes that fewer customers are coming in to buy these idols, and he recognizes his numbers are going southeast, and then he finds out Paul is preaching this message, and when people are turning to Jesus, they're no longer worshiping these idols. So what does he do? He calls his buddies who are in the same industry. and says, what do you think about this? This is going to come down. It's going to affect you also. So he approaches it kind of from a financial self-interest perspective, and then he changes it. It becomes a civic pride issue. How dare Paul insult and despise our great temple? It's who we are. It's our image. It's our identity. How dare he... he it's our flag. I, how can he say that about us? This is our spirit, our patriotic spirit. This is who we are. How dare he does that? As people came to know Jesus, they stopped worshiping Diana. Verse 12 says this, they decided that Barnabas, I'm, I'm going to read this. This is in Acts chapter 14. In Acts chapter 14, um, go back to that picture. I'm sorry. Uh, in Acts chapter 14, you read about the situation. This is not the first time Paul is accused of being a Greek god. And in, in chapter 14, verses 8 through 20, um, he and Barnabas are, 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 uh, are, uh, are ministering and sharing the gospel. And uh, there's someone who is, who is crippled, and, and Paul heals a guy. And after he heals him, all these, these people around, around there, um, they, they say this. They decided that Barnabas was the Greek god Zeus and that Paul was Hermes since he was the chief speaker. When I, when I first read that, I thought, well, that's kind of a bummer. If I were Paul, I'd want to be Zeus. But anyway, um, <clears throat> but, but I, it's really interesting how this miracle happens. 
And the people who were living there say, ah, this is why the miracle is happening. It's because Paul, you know, Paul or Barnabas is, is, is Zeus and Paul is, is this Greek god named, named Hermes. And that's why it's happening. Here's what I, what I want you to hear. What you worship determines your perspective. If you worship money, you will value anything related to lining your pockets. You will hold on to your money. You will become angry if anybody asks for money from you. you will be, if you worship money, you will see everything through money. If you worship a pleasure, then you will see everything. through. Everything will revolve around that pleasure. You will look for time to go back to that pleasure. You will want that pleasure. You will think about that pleasure in the back of your mind during the day. That's all you will think about is that pleasure. Whatever you worship will determine your perspective. Whatever you worship. They look at Paul and Barnabas and they say, this is why this is happening because of these two Greek gods. And later on when you read this, verse 15, Paul says this, we've come to bring you the good news that you should turn from these worthless things, these idols, these Greek gods, and turn to the living God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. And you see Paul over and over and over and over. He says, I'm here, and I worship the God of creation. That's who I worship. You're worshiping these man-made idols. You're worshiping these things, but I worship the God of creation. But Paul says something really, really strong. He says, you should turn from these, what church? From these worthless things and turn to the living God. I want you to hear this also. Don't allow worthless things to coexist with your relationship with Jesus Christ. There's certain things in your life that are just worthless. You know what they are? Spiritually mature people know what worthless things are. And they're able to turn away from them. It's a daily decision, incidentally. It's not a one-time decision. Spiritually Immature people don't recognize worthless things in their life. And spiritually immature people convince themselves that this worthless thing can coexist in their relationship with Jesus Christ and it won't affect them at all. Those are spiritually immature people. And it it happens all the time. It happens all the time. You can have something in your life and you say, you know what, this relationship that I'm in, I know I shouldn't be in this, and, but you know what, I'm going to keep going to church and I'm going to ask God to bless me and God's going to bless me. He's going to overlook this. This thing that, that has a grip on me, it really doesn't have, I, I have a grip, you know, it's not going to affect me and I can keep being that person, I can keep being that father, I can keep being that husband, whatever I can keep being, it's not going to affect me. It's a worthless thing and God wants you to kick it out of your life. God wants you to give him all of your heart. God wants you to turn from worthless things. And throughout Scripture, that's what happens. You see godly people say, repentant people say, I'm going to turn from this worthless thing, and I'm going to give myself completely to God. This repentance, this this idea of turning to God with all of your heart, that's what God wants us to do over and over and over again. Keep reading this story. Check it out. Verse 28 says, at this... Their anger boils. So Demetrius does a pretty good job saying, it's going to affect your family, it's going to affect your business, and it's also our civic duty. And then at this, their anger boiled, and they began shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was filled with confusion. 
Everyone rushed to the amphitheater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, and who were Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. Paul wanted to go in too, but the believers wouldn't let him. Some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, also sent a message to him, begging him not to risk his life by entering the amphitheater. It was just a mob, and they were concerned Paul's going to get stoned or something. He's going to lose his life. Verse 32 says this, Inside, the people were all shouting, some one thing and some another. Everyone was in confusion. In fact, most of them didn't even know why they were there. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander forward and told him to explain the situation. He motioned for silence and tried to speak. But when the crowd realized that he was a Jew, they hated Jews, they started shouting again and kept it up for about two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. At last... The mayor was able to quiet them down enough to speak. Citizens of Ephesus, he said. Everyone knows that Ephesus is the official guardian of the temple of the great Artemis, whose image fell down to us from heaven. (laughs) If you do a word study on that word heaven, it literally means Zeus. They believe Artemis came from Zeus, the Greek god. Since this is an undeniable fact, you should stay calm and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, but they have stolen nothing from the temple and have not spoken against our goddess. If Demetrius and the craftsmen have a case against them, then the courts are in session and the officials can hear the case at once. Let them make formal charges. And if there are complaints about other matters, they can be settled in a legal assembly. I'm afraid we are in danger of being charged with rioting by the Roman government. The Roman government, incredibly strong, powerful, and there's some fear about being in the hands of the Roman government, since there is no cause for all this commotion. And if Rome demands an explanation, we won't know what to say. Then he dismissed them, and they dispersed. They dispersed. Riot in Ephesus. And whoever this was, this mayor that stands up, calms the crowd down, fellow Gentile, and says, look, I don't even know why we're upset. I don't know what all this commotion is about. But if there's a legal concern, the courts are open and they can take it to court. And incidentally, Rome might get involved if we lose it like this and we don't want to be in the hands of Rome. And everyone dispersed. Now, when you look at Ephesians, the letter to Ephesians, One of the most popular chapters in Ephesians is chapter 6. It's not a surprise. You can see the devil working in Ephesus and people worshiping these gods and these, you know, god of agriculture and all kinds of gods. And uh, you can see these gods are worshiped. But in chapter 6, you see Paul the Apostle address it. And it's not a surprise that Paul writes a letter to these people who live in Ephesus, and he talks to them about a spiritual battle that's taking place. I want to read just a little bit. Verse 10, Paul tells these people, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Be strong in who? In, In who? In the Lord. Not you. You're not that strong. It doesn't matter how much you could bench press. You're not that strong. Be strong in the... Lord, and in, in what? In his, that's right, in his mighty power. It's not about your power. It's about 
his power. The reason why some of you fail over and over is you're relying on your power and your strength. It's not about you. It's about him. And Paul tells these people who are wrestling with worshiping Greek gods, these Christians who are still there, he says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. That's your strength. It's not, his, it's not your strength, it's his strength. And verse 11, he says this, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Put on the full armor of God. If there was ever a day and age where we needed to put on the full armor of God, it's today. In the day where information is more accessible than ever, more than ever. You know, when you were, when, during my day, some of you will understand this. If you wanted to look at something that you shouldn't look at, you'd have to hunt for it. You'd have to go to the gas station or something like that. You'd have to go look for it. You know what I'm talking about? But now it's right by your Bible app. It's right by your Bible app. It's not hard. If there's ever a day now where you have to put on the full armor of God against the schemes of the devil... It's now. That word schemes has just jumped out at me <laughs> because I think, of, I think of the devil and the longer I've walked with him, the more I see schemes of the devil. Let me just tell you, if anytime I run across someone who says I feel a calling to be a pastor, I tell them, run. Don't do it. It's, 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 a, it's a life where you sacrifice everything and there's no applause. It's a life where you become a bondservant to the Lord, and you're constantly under spiritual attack. Now, I recognize all of us have our own spiritual battles in our own privacy. I get that. But I'm just telling you, the life of a pastor is, is a, it, it, it's a, <laughs> it's a challenging life. I was in Colorado Springs this uh, Friday. A friend of mine passed away, uh, Pastor Zell Woodworth, and Pastor Zell has been a pastor for over 40 years, 40 years as a pastor. I mean, for me, I'm just like, wow, That's, I want to be him when I grow up. <clears throat> over 40 years as a pastor. And I think about all the challenges, and, and he's had such, such a successful ministry. He started other churches, and he's, been, he's one of these old-school pastors who believe in the message of holiness. That's a dying, dying animal right there. Believes in the message of repentance and, and living out a holy life every day and being accountable for our words every day. And it's just, that's just not real popular today. Um, and, and he's had such a successful ministry. In fact, um, you know, one of, the, one of the couples that attended his church that he pastored was a, a couple named Jim and Shirley Dobson. Uh, maybe you know about them. James Dobson, Focus on the Family in Colorado Springs. Huge, beautiful story that came out from California. And Focus on the Family has impacted people all across the world through their radio program. And um, I've met Dr. Dobson before, and, 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 and uh, he, my friend Zell, in fact, Dr. Dobson was ready to walk away from Focus on the Family a number of years ago. And, and my friend Zell is the one who, who prayed with him at the altar, and he chose to stay. 
at, at there. I just think about his ministry. I'm thinking, wow, the Lord has used this guy. So he's in hospice, and he's about to die, and, and, and there's someone who visits him who's very close to him, and, and this woman shared uh, on, on stage at the, at the funeral service, and she shares that while she was there sitting by Pastor Zell, that Zell, you know, he, he talked to her, and, and he started weeping, and, and he said, I haven't done anything in my life. I haven't done anything in my life. You ever feel like that? When he said that, this whole <clears throat> funeral service, I'll just, it seemed like every fourth person was a pastor that was there. We're just there to support our, our warrior. <laughs> and, and I was sitting down right there, and I just started weeping. Tears just started rolling down my face. Believe it or not, I, I feel the same thing so many times. I haven't done anything. I haven't done anything. I haven't done anything. And then this woman says this, <clears throat> even in the very last moments, the devil was trying to discourage him. And I thought, so true. The schemes of the devil. The devil wants to discourage you, and he'll do anything to discourage you. If he can discourage you from trying to walk with God, he'll do that. If he can discourage you from staying in your marriage, he'll do that. If he can discourage you from going to church, he'll do that. If he can discourage you from attempting to live a life of righteousness, he'll do that. If he can discourage you from trusting someone else, he'll do that. He will want to discourage you and devalue. That's what the enemy does. Ultimately, he wants to divide and destroy, and he, he wants you to take your own life even, and that's what the enemy does. It's a scheme of the devil. He'll attack you when you're exhausted, when you're weak, when you're worn out. It's the scheme of the devil. And here Paul says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And then he goes on and he says this, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The longer I've walked with God, the more I recognize who's pulling the strings. I know who's pulling the strings. <clears throat> when I started walking with God, I didn't recognize that as, as well as I do now. But now... I hear the words out of someone's mouth, and I know who's pulling the strings. I see someone's actions, and I know who's pulling the strings. I face a temptation, and I know who's pulling the strings. You become spiritually aware of who's pulling the strings. The devil still uses the same old tricks. Worship the God of lust. Worship the God of money. Worship the God of pride. Worship the God of sex. Whatever it is, I want you to hear this. You have a God who will walk with you. You have a God who will walk with you. you know what's different about God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the Greek gods that Paul and all the apostles run into throughout the book of Acts is the Greek gods, what they do is they kind of swoop down from heaven. That's the story, right? Whether it's Zeus or whoever it is, they swoop down from heaven and they kind of fill a person and puff them up with superhuman strength for that moment, and then they kind of fly back away to wherever, wherever they fly back away to with the other gods. But the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, what he does, he doesn't send out the tanks. He sends his only son to go to a cross. And he becomes a sacrifice, propitiation for our sins. That's what he does. Then you have this God who doesn't want to just swoop down and swoop away, but you have this God who wants to walk with you. He wants to walk with you in your valley. 
and in your peaks. He wants to walk with you at work and at home and in your car and on the run or walking with a dog, whatever. He wants to walk with you in your pain and in your heart wherever you're at. I asked uh, Nikki Randall. She's been part of our worship team for a very long time, and she's had to uh, walk through a difficult circumstance. So come on up here, Nikki. Give her a hand as she comes up here and shares a little bit. As some of you may or may not know, my husband Brayden and I had been expecting um, a baby boy in early November, and um, we were very excited about this. And um, though all babies are a blessing and a gift from God, this little guy had been brought into our lives in just a very specific, special way from the Lord. And um, two years before we had found out that uh, we were pregnant, um, our then 10-year-old daughter, Cambry, had told us that the Lord had given her a dream, and in the dream, he told her that we were going to have a baby boy, and his name was going to be Jacob. To which I replied, well, that's wonderful, honey, but we're not having any more kids, <laughs> and we're done. Um, and six months before we found out we were pregnant, at that point, she had become like daily insistent on this baby, to which I frustratingly quite often was like, I don't want to hear any more about the baby. We're not having another baby. And so you can imagine how surprised we were when we, in fact, found out we were expecting um, in late February of this year. Um, and I turned to my husband and said, this has to be Jacob. I mean, it has to be. Um, and um, uh, at that time, I had been just working through some fear of what, if there could be something wrong with the baby or complications with the pregnancy due to my age. Um, we have four kiddos ranging in age from 5 to 16, so it gives you a little hint at my age. Um, but we were, I was working through that, and um, I got a text. I was getting ready for the morning to come to church, and I was going to be singing that morning, so kind of getting ready a little early. And um, I got a text from a friend who I hadn't talked to in a while, and um, she texted me, and she was saying that the Lord had woken her up in the middle of the night to pray specifically for our son. And um, we believed it to be about Jacob, um, as I had been concerned. And um, and uh, then I was going to have my quiet time with the Lord that morning and um, reading in his word. And I had run out of my um, normal amount of time that I would like to read. And so when I just have a little bit of time, I usually go to the Proverbs of the day. And so I was turning to Proverbs 24. And as I was turning to Proverbs 24, I felt the Lord um, telling me to go to Psalm 24. And I would never go to the Psalm of the day, but I turned there. And I'm reading, and I get to verse 6, and it just stands off out of the page, right? It says, this is Jacob, the generation who seeks him, who seeks your face. And, man, I knew right then and there it was affirmation from the Lord that this is, in fact, Jacob, the baby that the Lord had told Cambry about. And he was just affirming that he wanted us to trust him and walk through this with him and, and uh, he would be with us. And uh, so you can imagine our excitement that I'm like, man, the Lord's bringing this baby in this way. He's got big plans for this little guy, and I can't wait to see what that is. Um, on June 12th, my husband and I and our three kid, three girls, um, our son Blaine had been working that day. He wasn't able to come, but we excitedly walked into the ultrasound room for our 19-week ultrasound, excited to see baby Jacob, um, only to find that they could not find the heartbeat, and he had died. And it was at that moment, right, we were just shocked. And I'm like, well, how, why, why would God choose to do that when he brought this little guy in such a special way? And how can our kids walk through this without a crisis of faith? And you need to begin to ask those questions. And um, the doctor walked out of the room, and it was just us. And I just said, this sucks. And I don't like that word. I don't like to use that word. I don't like my kids to use that word. But that was my honest response at that moment. But I turned to my kiddos and said, but God, and I love those words, but God is faithful. And 
we don't understand why this is happening, and we may not ever understand on this side of eternity, but we have got to trust God, and we know that he has a plan, and he promises in Romans 8, 28 that he will work all things together for the good of those who love him, and we trust him in that so we can walk through this with him. And at that time, Braden just prayed over our family, um, just that the Lord would lift us up as we're getting ready to walk in through this time. Um, one of the things that the Lord has made so clear through this time is how he has gone before us. The Lord goes before us. And we have seen that in amazing ways. And one of the ways he went before me was the week before um, we found out about Jacob's death. He had been really working on me on two things. One being to find my full satisfaction in Christ alone. And two being acceptance and peace. And what he was speaking to me was every morning I need to wake up and just choose to find my full satisfaction, my contentedness, my joy in him alone, not in my circumstances, not in other people. So that was one of the things he was working on in me. And the other was when I can understand the sovereignty of God, that nothing will come into my life or your life apart from his permission, that nothing is out of his control. I can understand that he has either brought something into my life or he has allowed it to come into my life and that he is going to work it for our good and for his glory. And when we can understand that, he was encouraging me that I can come to that place of acceptance of what he is bringing my way rather than fighting against him or angry at him. And, you know, we go through those stages at times, but when we can get to that place of acceptance of what he's doing and knowing this is something that God is bringing in my life, we can choose to walk with him he is a God who walks with us. And so we can choose to walk with him in that. And he was teaching me, and in acceptance, there is peace, the peace of God. And as he was speaking this to me, I was like, Lord, I feel like you are preparing me for something. This is quite obvious. And I began to ask him, is there some, something you would bring that I wouldn't accept? What would that be? And my prayer began to be, Lord, as whatever you may bring into my life, would you prepare my heart to be able to come to a place of acceptance, to walk through it hand in hand with you, knowing that you hold us in Isaiah 41.10. It says he holds us in his righteous right hand. It says it throughout scripture. Knowing that you would hold me, would you just prepare my heart to be able to walk through it with you in a way that I could bring honor and glory to you, that others could come to know you by the way that we are following you and that you would be glorified. Because that's why we're here on this earth is to lead others to Jesus to know of his salvation, and to bring him glory. Um, but I never, ever would have guessed that that's what he would walk us through in three days from that day. Um, but he is faithful. On June 15th, Brayden and I walked into the hospital to deliver our son, and um, it was yet another example of the Lord going before us. He had provided an amazing nurse. It was such a blessing. We found out that she was a fellow sister in Christ and that she had covered our room and us in prayer before we walked in that morning. And she sat by my bedside and she had her hand raised in a powerful prayer over me um, as we began the labor process. And what a blessing that was. We knew we were covered right then and there. And um, we had an, a, a, just a beautiful time as a closure of, a, of as a family to be able to hold Jacob um, and then as we were going home that night, which was in and of itself a miracle and a blessing from the Lord because they told us it could be up to three days. Um, as we were going home that night, I said to Brayden, I said, this wasn't a traumatic day like I thought it would be. It was actually as sweet of a day as it could possibly be. And I could only say that through God, only through God is something like that possible. 
My heart was breaking, but I knew it was being held so tight in the hands of my Father, my Savior, my Lord, my refuge, my Redeemer, my all in all. Another way that the Lord has has gone before us was through the kind staff at the funeral home as we buried our son, through family and friends, many of you guys here who just loved on us, who prayed for us, who brought us meals, um, who cried with us. We received financial gifts to help out in that time as well, and just the Lord went before us in so many amazing ways. Another way the Lord really spoke to me is through song. And I know that he speaks to us through song. We hear that throughout scripture. And it's a way he stirs our hearts. And there was a song called Over All I Know that I already had known, but I heard it two days after, after labor. I was driving in the car and down the highway. I mean, my hands were raised in praise, tears coming down my eyes, singing, you are the God above it all. I stand in all, the God over all I know. And I was singing that with new revelation and new new faith and trust that I have seen you, Lord, even in the midst of the pain, I choose to praise you, and I have seen you move in amazing ways over all I know. I mean, literally in every detail of every possible thing we walked through, you were there walking with us, and you are the God over all I know. And we're going to be singing that this morning, and I want to go over some of the lines there that, that just mean something to me. It says, you tell sickness it must leave and it's gone. You tell broken things be healed and they're whole. And I want you to know that that is our God. We serve a God of miracles, and he can, and he often does that. But please hear me that there are times when his answer is no. And even if he doesn't heal, he is faithful. And we can trust him, and he is working out a plan that we may not understand But I promise you, it's for your good, it's for our good, and it's beautiful, and he is working for his glory. And I want to encourage us to walk in that faith. Another line that I love singing is, you tell death it has no chance, it won't win. And I think a lot of people would maybe look at this story and say, but death did win, Jacob is not alive. And I would tell you that death didn't win when Jesus died on the cross and he rose again, and he is alive today. And death did not win because Jacob is in heaven with our Lord and Savior, and we have the hope of being with him one day in heaven. But let me tell you another way that Satan will allow death to win or wants it to win in our lives is to keep us in a place of defeat to keep us crippled, whether that be with a loss, whether that be something we're walking through, whether that be with a fear that's gripping us, whatever it may be. He wants to keep us in that place of of where death does win. But we have victory in Christ, amen? So death does not win, and I love singing that in victory. As we sing this song, I want you to, whatever you may be walking through, whatever you may be getting ready to walk through, there's always something, right, that that's going on, but I would ask that you just allow God to work in your heart and and ask him to open our hearts to receive whatever it is that may be coming our way and whatever we walk through, that we would walk through it with him. We have a God, like Pastor Ruben was saying, who walks with us. The words of the song also go on to say there's no higher name, no greater throne. We've been talking about Greek gods But there is no higher name and no greater throne, and there is no other God before our God. So as we sing this, I want you to know that God allows us the privilege of going through hard things, even when it doesn't feel like a privilege, and suffering is hard and real. And I continue to go through the grieving process back and forth, and I'm sure I will for a while. It's a long healing process, but God is faithful, and we can trust him 
And he alone is over all we know. I want to invite the band to come out and we're going to sing this song together. Oh, thank you, Nikki, for sharing that. Would you just show your appreciation, guys, for her doing that? Uh, It took a a lot of courage and there was a lot of transparency in what she shared. And uh, we... uh, we, we love uh, Nikki and the entire Randall family and, and uh, love them all very much, just like we love all of you. And uh, I appreciate her sharing how the Lord is, has worked in her life. Uh, maybe you could identify with that. Maybe you're going through something and you just need to know the presence of the Lord right now. Maybe the, the why is not clear, but you just need to know that God is with you. And I want to encourage you to cry out to God and ask him to just put his arm around you and to carry you through whatever you're going through. Maybe it's a time related to money or relationships or faith crisis, whatever it is, you can cry out to God. So uh, also I want to say this, if, if uh, maybe there's something in your life that's a worthless thing and maybe God has spoken to you and he's stirred your heart and he said, as long as you have that worthless thing, you won't be able to reach your full God potential. And I want to encourage you to turn away from that worthless thing and turn to God with all of your heart. Can you do that this morning? Um, Or maybe you need to receive Jesus Christ into your heart and you need to start a new relationship with Jesus as a Christian and be part of the way. You can do that too. Let's pray. God, thank you for your grace and your love. Thank you, God, for being so faithful. Thank you for carrying us during difficult times, Lord, and thank you for your presence. You're so good, God. I'm so grateful we don't have a moody God. <laughs> I'm grateful we, we, we have a God who can be counted on all the time. And if you're ready to receive Jesus into your heart, would you say this? Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me for my sins. I turn away from them now. I repent of them now. I choose to become part of the way. Put your Holy Spirit inside of me and speak to me. Show me how to live and how to walk. Others of you, maybe you have uh, some worthless things in your life or a worthless thing. Would you say this prayer? God, this morning I turn to you with all of my heart. I turn my back on that worthless thing. Take away the hold that thing has on me. I give you Each year, thousands of Thorn Creek Church messages are downloaded for free. This ministry is generously supported by Thorn Creek Church members and listeners like you. If you'd like to support this ministry, please consider making a tax-deductible donation by visiting thorncreek.church/give.